So as Jen told you, we're starting a brand new series called Me, Myself, and I Am. So I heard a story recently about a young man who was involved in a car wreck, somewhat serious. And when the paramedics showed up on the scene, he was leaning over the hood of his relatively new BMW. And when the paramedics went up to talk to him to see how he was, he, he was just going, oh, my car, oh, my, my, my new car, my, my BMW. And the paramedic looked and said, sir, sir, look, get a hold of yourself. He looked at his arm, and he could see his arm was somewhat mangled up. And he said, your, your arm, it's, it's, it's all messed up. And so the young man looked at his arm and went, oh, oh, my Rolex, oh, oh. Oh, it's priorities. This man's priorities were out of shape. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about priorities. Have you ever thought about this question? What does God want from me? What does God want? Where where is God in my life? What does he want from me? how How do I get where he wants me to go? How do I connect where he wants me to connect? How do I take God's priorities and make them my own? Where, where are you today in your priorities? Are you where you want to be? If we did a quick gut check and had you just kind of fill out a quick survey and you were to answer these questions, am I right now where God wants me to be with all of my life? Am I right now where God wants me to be with most of my life? Am I right now where God wants me to be with some of my life? So priorities really matter. Over the last few weeks, you can imagine as we've begun construction and we've tried to maintain general workflow that happens in the life of a church, a lot of us on staff have felt sometimes the the crunch of time. And we've been rediscovering that when we have time issues, when we feel the crunch, when we're feeling overwhelmed, a couple of things come into play. Usually at the core of time issues, time management issues, they're simply the skill of managing a calendar. Some people are really good at that. Some people aren't. Those of us that aren't, when things get piled on our plates, we feel the crunch. But that's usually the secondary thing that's going on when there are time management issues at stake. When you feel like you have more obligations than you have time to do what you're committed to do or obligated to do. The real challenge seems to be, I think, in my somewhat subjective looking at life, the real problem seems to be a priorities issues. In other words, if your priorities are right, time management seems to go better. And when your priorities are wrong, time management seems to go more difficultly for us. Priorities are a big deal. And God's word has a lot to say about priorities. And today we're going to look at a 30,000 foot view of the priorities that God lays out for the people that he says he loves them. That he wants nothing but the best for them. That when he thinks about you and me, he thinks about not just our existence, not just our survival, but us participating in a beautiful plan he has for this world. A plan that has two sides. The first side being that you get to experience life with God. Lived by God's principles that allows for your relationships to go more in a more healthy way. That allows for your priorities to stack up in a way that doesn't leave you at the end of the month exhausted and wondering if it matters Instead, the priorities line up in such a way that when you come to the end of the month, there's a sense, though you may be tired, that it mattered, that it has purpose and meaning, that you're participating in something bigger than you, something that will outlive you and outlast you. Oh, there's the personal side of this coin. But the other side of the coin of living life with God is that not only is it for you personally, but as you do the thing that God has put in front of you, as you follow him, he uses you 
not just to benefit yourself, but to touch other people in the world. And so that the whole thing comes full circle. You're benefited, and other people are benefited around you. This is God's plan for you. It's the way our loving Father looks at us and says, I'm going to make your days count. Now, the average person in the United States lives about 26,200 days. Now, don't do the math real quick, because some of you are on the dark side of that. You know, I'm, 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 I realized this week, I'm, on the, I'm over the halfway mark. Woo, I'm over the halfway mark. And when, sometimes when you stop to think about the relatively short, I mean, 26,200 sounds like a lot, unless you're at 26,199. Then it doesn't sound like enough. I, sometimes I, when I think about how much we have, and, and, and then you think about how little it really is, you wonder what's going on. Well, what's going on is God wants to be a part of all of it. And not just be a part of it, he wants to be at the center of it. And not just at the center of it, he wants to be guiding it and directing it so priorities really matter. What drives you? Are you where you want to be? Are you where God wants you to be? Now here's the truth. We can only change what we're willing to confront. Now this is difficult. Conflict management, the management of change is difficult for most of us. Most of us don't do it well. Most of our families of origin haven't taught us how to manage conflict well. The Bible's pretty clear about it. You go directly one-on-one with the person you have a challenge with. You have a face-to-face conversation. No sniping in a passive-aggressive way through social media. No sniping through friends. No, none of this passive-aggressive junk that tends to happen. But if we're not willing to confront, we can't really change our circumstances. And so some of us tend to accept as permanent what really could change if we engaged the issues where the issues are, if we looked at the priorities. So I want to make sure that over the next couple of weeks you come as we dig down on this idea of where our lives, me and myself, interact with I am. I am is one of the powerful names of God given in the Bible. In fact, when Moses was standing before the burning bush in the book of Exodus chapter 3, and he says, all right, who's talking to me? If you want me to go to Pharaoh and say to him, God says to let my people go, which God? I mean, Egypt has all of their gods. And so God says to Moses in in Exodus chapter 3, he says, I am who I am. God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. It's the all-encompassing name of God. He's ever present there, ready to help. Not I was God, not I will be, but I am the God who's here and present. And we're going to look at how I am intersects you, me, us, And what the implications for that is. That's not just an Old Testament reality. When Jesus was asked about his identity in the book of John in the New Testament, Jesus gave this description that harkens back to the Old Testament name for God. He says, Jesus said to the crowd that was talking to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was the patriarch of our faith, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus identifying with God. So through Jesus Christ, what God has made available to us is the ever-present active work of God in our lives, arranging our priorities, giving purpose to our step, bringing depth to our relationships, helping us determine what to do with our 26,200 days. It's all about having God in his proper place. God in his proper place in our lives. Regularly, when I was teaching high school, I would come across a a student or two, often very bright, 
and they would sit down, and in the moment of honesty there in my office, we would have a conversation about where they were on their journey of faith, where they were in their relationship with God. And many of them would say, I'm just struggling. I'm just struggling, Mr. Hodges, with, and then they would identify some area of doubt. You know, I read the Bible, I hear stories like this, and I wonder about that. Or I'm struggling because at my church we're going through a difficult situation and I don't know where God is in the middle of it. Very often the most common was, I'm having a problem at home with my parents or in, a, in another type of relationship in my home and I don't know where to see God in the middle of this. What's, what's going on? And I would try to get these high school students to understand that God doesn't just want to touch the periphery areas of their life, but he wants to be infused in everything that they do He wants to be in the middle of everything that they think. He wants to be at the center of their lives. And some of them have been around church, been exposed to the Bible. But what I discovered in high school, and I bet it's true in this room as well as I taught high school, what I discovered was is that many of them knew a lot about God, had been in God environments, but they hadn't really begun a deep and personal relationship with the I am yet. It would be kind of like this. It would be kind of like you coming to me and saying, Ben, I've been pursuing this girl, but she doesn't want to have anything to do with me. And if we begin to unpack that, you would say stuff like this. I got on her Facebook page, and I looked at all of her pictures, and I read her about me stuff, and I looked, and I friended all of her friends. And I sent her emails and texts. I mean, I've just been like getting to know her, and she doesn't want to have anything to do with me. I mean, it's very conceivable in our day and age that people would find out a lot of information about somebody but never really have a personal, up-close contact with that person. That's exactly what happens with people who are around church environments, who grow up in Christian homes, who are exposed to teachings of the Bible. There's a way to be around it without it ever really touching down deep. And yet the beauty comes when who you are intersects the I am. And the I am then becomes the center of who you are. It really is about priorities. So I want to drill down on three important questions. The first one is very simple. What does God want from you? What what does God want? That's a big deal. In fact, entire religions have been built around this concept. What, What does the deity want from me? He wants me to throw the virgin in the volcano. Okay, good. Got it. Done. We're done. We're good now. He wants me to offer up sacrifices so he'll rain down blessings on my crops. Entire religions have been developed around this idea. That's a basic quest that human beings have. What does does God want? Well, in Christianity, the the answer is kind of all-encompassing. And yet it's still somewhat elusive. So to bring clarity, let's give you just one word answer right here. What God wants from you, what he wants from me, and one word is everything everything. See, what I encountered with my students when I taught high school, what I encounter regularly with church is that sometimes people come to a church environment, they engage religion because some area of their life they're struggling. And that's totally fine. God is good with that. If you're struggling with your marriage today, God is glad that that's motivating you to sit here and try to consider how he could be a part of that. He's glad with that. But the truth is, is he doesn't just want to touch your, your marriage. He wants to go all the way to the center and be infused in all of your life. But those of us that have come to God because we had challenges with different parts of our lives, financial or our health 
or a relationship. What we discovered was even as we engaged God at that area, a new reality was opened up to us. So the very God who was wanting to and laid out principles and provided power and gave us truth and hope in that area of life, wanted to do the same thing in every single area of our life. In fact, he began to invade our lives. We open the door a little, and he begins to invade us. And our participation with that process of God invading our lives where he intersects us completely makes every difference. And there's no place in the Bible where you read that God says, what I'd like from you is 10% of your life. He doesn't say, I'd like you to give me your religious self, but then you can manage the rest. He doesn't say, we say it around here, he doesn't want to just have a Sunday interaction with you. He'd like to have a 24-7 interaction with you. And that's where the sweet spot happens. That's where the purpose happens. That's why it's so tragic when a kid grows up in church and they decide they're no longer going to have anything to do with God, at least for this phase of their life, and you drill down and you discover they really haven't even read the New Testament from cover to cover. They thought that because they were around it, they had a pretty good understanding, and they no longer need it. And what often happens is, is rather than having a full intersection of God into their lives, they back away from what they thought was all that God wanted. And when they looked at what they thought all that God wanted, all that God was, and all that God could do, it didn't fully satisfy. And the problem was, they didn't sign up for the whole thing. It doesn't just happen with high school students. It happens with adults. It happens with pastors. And God says, here am I. What I want from you is, I want everything. Here's what Paul, in the book of Romans, wrote. This is a way of kind of drilling down just a little bit more. He says, Give yourselves completely to God. Since you've been given new life completely to God. And then he says, and use your whole body as a tool to do what's right for the glory of God. Completely. Whole body. As a tool used by God for his purposes in your life. That is what God wants from each of us. C.S. Lewis, my favorite author, just... An incredible guy, and, I, and I've read his, his works as I studied his life. It's opened up to the realities of God. And he said in a very simple phrase, he said, the only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. In fact, when we try to make it moderately important to us, it's almost as if we, as if we insulate ourselves from its biggest impact. It's almost as if a little dose of God doesn't give us a little dose of God. It makes us feel like we don't need all of God. And somehow we can do it by ourselves. And in so doing, we limit what God can do, and we limit the experience of God intersecting our lives fully. It's kind of like some of us, I think, maybe think of our life as a pie. Here's the pie, and we've got the one section here that's the God section. And then, you know, maybe for some of us, the God section is, you know, half of the deal, right? So we've got half the deal. But the truth is our lives are not looked at like a pie from God's perspective. His idea is that he wants all of you. So way back in the Old Testament when God started interacting with people, he wrote it this way in Deuteronomy chapter 10. He says, this is what the Lord your God wants you to do. Respect the Lord and do what he's told you to do. Love him. Serve the Lord with your whole being. So it kind of sounds like that maybe he's on an ego trip, that he 
He isn't satisfied with just a piece. He doesn't just want the virgin in the volcano. He doesn't just want the offering for the rain for the crops. He wants all of you. Doesn't that sound like an egotistical God? In fact, it kind of sounds like he thinks he's, he's God or something. <laughs> and that's exactly what's going on here. He is God. And so he doesn't want you to feel like you can shield him, either intentionally trying to hold something back or unintentionally by not giving him everything. When we do that, friends, when we do that, we get a piece of the experience and the peace never fully satisfies. What satisfies the soul, as we sang just a few moments ago, is the love that goes on and on and on and it permeates every area of our life. And my, I'm hoping what I was praying for God to do this week while I've been drilling down on this one point is that he would begin revealing to us in our minds, in our hearts right now, the peace that we're holding back from. See, I can talk all day long about how much God wants all of us. But that doesn't do it. What does it is when God, through the Holy Spirit, begins to whisper in your ear and say, here's the peace that you've been holding back. Here's the peace you haven't let me in on. Here's the peace you've been trying to manage by yourself. Here's the part where you won't let go. Now, when the Holy Spirit's whispering that, your response to that determines everything. It determines whether or not God really is the priority or whether he's just a part of your life, whether he's the pie or part of the pie. And when the Holy Spirit comes alongside and says, there's the area, and he does this in a variety of ways, sometimes very directly in a strong sense that we have, that you try to explain it to somebody else, they wouldn't get it because it's very personal. Other times he does it because the evidence that God is not fully infused in our life, is right in front of us in our lives. It becomes obvious that in this particular area of our lives, God's values aren't speaking. There isn't the fruit of walking with him here. And so you don't need a, a subjective sense of the Holy Spirit. You have evidence externally that you're not doing the thing. You're not fully engaged there. That's all God coming alongside saying, I'm not done with you. I haven't taken you on the full ride. There's so much more for you to experience with me. And if you think this little bit over here is all that I can do for you, you, you don't have a clue yet. Open all of your life to me and see what I'll be able to do in and through your life. Proverbs chapter 3, the book of wisdom, Proverbs in the Old Testament, chapter 3, verse 6 says this. In everything you do, put God first. In everything you do, Put God first, and he'll direct you, and he'll crown your efforts with success. Now, I don't mean to imply that God says in everything you'll be successful as everybody defines success or as the world defines success. God says from an eternal God-heaven perspective, if you put me first in your life, I'll make your steps right. I'll put you on the right path, and I'll take you to the ultimate desired ends. What this means is, we don't begin our journey and then ask God to be a part and bless it. When God is the whole thing at the center of who we are, we ask him to, to lead us and guide us from the get-go. We submit our will to his will. We, we adopt his values into our life. We learn about him as much as we can to make sure that the things of God are the things of us. God says when we do that, when we put him first, that he'll make us successful in the things that really matter. There's a powerful story in your New Testament of Mary and Martha. 
One day Jesus comes to their house. One of the sisters who's been so in love with Jesus, she decides this house is a wreck and here's Jesus. We got to clean this place up. The kids left the Wii out again. You know, the floor's a mess. She wanted the place to smell like pine saw when Jesus walked in the house, you know? Like my mom. If you go to my mom and dad's house, there's the, the faint odor of bleach. Because my mom's love language is bleach. And so in stress or when you have company over, it's the bleach bucket and she's cleaning everything, right? Because that's, that's the way she's wired. She wants to keep the house and it's a reflection of her. And so it's good. So, so one sister, she's going to clean the thing fully. The other sister who's deeply in love with Jesus says, oh, Jesus is here. She sits down at the feet of Jesus and just listens to him talk. And the first sister gets angry at the second sister for not helping clean the house because, you know, you got to help out. And Jesus settled once and for all what is and could have been a theological debate for centuries. Which one loved Jesus more? Which one was doing the right thing? And I'm so glad Jesus settled this once for all because I would have ended up naturally on the wrong side. Jesus made it perfectly clear that the sister who loved him, that sat at his feet, listening and engaging him, was just with him, taking him in, got it more. She got it more correct. She understood the essence. She understood what was important. Her priorities were right because she had a personal, ongoing, engaged encounter with Jesus. That was more of a priority and more correct than the sister who, because of her love, wanted the place to be spotless for Jesus. Which way are you more wired? Do you just want to like do stuff? Or do you want to be with him? That's a, that's a big deal. Jesus settled it once for all and he said, I just want to be with you. I want to have an encounter with you that is personal. I want you to put me first in your life. And when you do that, I'm going to make things successful. In fact, Jesus said of the sister that sat at his feet, he said, this, 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 this is powerful. He said, of that sister that sat at his feet, what she has done is right, and what she receives cannot be taken from her. He was saying basically to the other sister, you're cleaning the house, the house is going to get dirty again. He was saying to every dad, oh, you're providing for your kids stuff? The stuff can be taken away. But when you spend time together, now, now that can't be taken away. That lasts through the difficulties. Dads, when you invest in your kids, not just stuff, but yourself, that can't be taken away. And yet it's, it's a challenge, isn't it? Do I provide things or do I engage myself? And when we get those two confused, we end up, like many parents ended up in my office saying, I can't believe what this kid has done to us after all I've done for him or for her. And when you drill down on what they had done for him or for her, it was they provided stuff. That's the same kind of dynamic that God's trying to avoid in our lives. He wants to be at the center. So what does God want? He wants everything. So what does it take? Two words. One word for what he wants, two words for what it takes. It takes grace, and it takes discipline. Last week, I talked to you about the power of the grace of God at work in our lives. What a powerful force it is when we realize we can't earn this and we don't deserve it. And your ability to walk in the fact that God loves you even though you fail. That you fail, but you're not a failure. You sin, but he chooses to no longer call you a sinner. He knows what you did and he doesn't hold it against you. 
You walk in the reality that your relationship with God isn't based on your performance. It's based on how he chooses to see you because of what Jesus did. And you grab hold of the grace that's provided for you. And you do all you can to submerge yourself in grace language. Identifying yourself as a sinner saved by grace. As a saint, even though I act anything other than saintly, because that's what God chooses to call me. Not a servant, but a friend is how the Bible describes you and I when God looks at us. It takes the grace and the knowledge of that grace. And then it takes discipline. Just good old discipline to make the priorities of God our priorities. Discipline to open up his book, the Bible, and to discover him there. The whole purpose God gave you your Bible wasn't to give you a list of rules to tack onto your life. It was to reveal to you the person of Jesus Christ, the character of God, so that you would know this God better. And your knowledge of him would impact how you see yourself. He would intersect your life. So when you read the story of Adam and Eve and you look at their sin and at first you can't believe they would do something so stupid and then you realize, "Uh uh-oh, I never stood before a tree like that, but I had my own tree I stood before and I did the same thing. And you find that the scriptures don't just tell you stories of what happened, but they reveal to you your own character and they show you the character of God intersecting with your character and the common theme in all of it is the grace of God. And then you see, conversely, that each person that moved close to God, that's held up as an example of how to do it, they didn't just walk in grace, but they walked in a certain discipline where they took effort to bring the things of God into their life. I'm certain it wasn't always easy, but that's what they did. So Proverbs, again, the book of Wisdom, chapter 10, verse 17, says this. Whoever practices discipline is on the way to life. Really living. It's both the knowledge of grace and the discipline I bring to submit myself to the plan and purpose of God. Either one of those missed out, either one of those ignored, creates an imbalance in the way that we walk with God. And in trying to answer the question, what does it take? God wants everything, and what it takes is a grasp of grace and an intentionality of discipline. And then the things of God begin to infuse our lives. The writer of Hebrews wrote it this way. I like this because you're probably going to think I'm going to lean on one side, but we're going to go the other. So let's look at it together. Wherefore, seeing we are encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. The writer's saying, look, a lot of people have gone before us. They've done it right. They've set the example. They shine the light in the dark. Look at their lives. Figure out. Seeing as how all these people have gone before us, this witnesses of how to do it, he says, let us lay aside every weight. And the sin which so easily besets us. And then let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Two big obstacles. Sin and weight. Listen, you know what sin is. I know what sin is. Nine times out of ten when we sin, we know it. God says if that's the pattern for you, this idea of God's life intersecting your life, you're going to hit a roadblock. But then there's the other part of this. Not only sin... But the weights, there's sin and weights. Weights are those things that aren't necessarily sin. It's not good for you, for you, where you are, and for where you want to go. And God says, look, not just in terms of the issue of sin, but are there issues of wisdom that you and I need to pay attention to? Where just for you, given your history, given where you are, and given where you want to go, you should be asking the question, not is it right or wrong, but is it wise for me? 
The writer of Hebrews says, if you'll lay aside sin and ask God to help you there and come to him knowing that he'll respond in grace, and then if you'll pay attention to these other weights that are holding you back, a relationship, unforgiveness, bad patterns of behavior, anger, addiction, if you'll lay aside these weights and you'll deal with the sin, well, then what happens is God can have full, free reign in your life. And you'll be opening yourself up to all that he wants. And, and what it takes then is what God can do and then our partnership called grace and our partnership with him in the disciplined way. Do you realize that when Jesus had disciples, that that's the same word we get the word discipline from? They humbled themselves and they sat at his feet and they became learners. We had a big debate around my office one day about what are the marks of a true disciple? One of the clear, obvious marks of a true disciple is they have a teachable attitude. They're willing to be taught. They're willing to engage and learn and admit they don't know it all. God loves a heart like that. God I feel like there are areas in my life where you haven't fully penetrated. I want to open myself up to you, Lord, here and now. Don't even know how to do it. But God, if you'll lead my steps, I'll follow you there. That is the attitude he wants from each one of us. So the first question was, what does God want? Everything. What does it take? Grace and discipline. And then why should I do it? I think you should do it because, honestly, if God really is God and you're not God, if he said that it should be good enough, but, but that doesn't really satisfy. There's, there's a simple concept in the Bible. In fact, our culture today, it's all around us. It's the cross. And the Bible talks about the cross. It talks about the price, the extent that God went to in order to redeem us, to buy us back from the dark side. And to open up this life with him. This full life that infuses every corner of our mind. Every shadowy part of our hearts. This cross spans the gap that existed between human beings and their creator. The loved and the lover. God and his creation. And back in the Roman days, this cross was not a thing of beauty at all. It was a thing of horror. Nobody would ever go get a cross Dip it in gold and wear it around their neck. I mean, it was basically the, the ancient equivalent of the electric chair. I mean, only very strange people are wearing little images of the electric chair around their neck. Listen, if you're a guy doing that, would you please stay away from my daughter? I mean, it's just weird. It's strange. That's the idea. And yet in our culture today, this cross that changes everything experiences its own change. And it became a, became a thing not of shame, but of beauty. When the biblical writers are trying to describe what should motivate us, and what's at the core, and what should we think and understand, the cross is central to their message. Their idea is that because the cross happened, all the barriers are torn down. And any barrier emotionally that you're hanging on to, any spiritual ba- barrier that you're hanging on to, that should disappear as well. Because Jesus gave his life. And because he was resurrected, then there should be no excuse, Paul writes. You're without excuse because of what God has done. But beyond just being without excuse, you should have deep and profound motivation. And if you don't have it, then you should search and discover what the 
sins and the weights are. And the cross makes all the difference for the writers in the Bible. Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians, wrote it this way. He says, He died for all those who live. To no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul goes on to say that because he died, we get to live. Because he gave, we get to receive. Because he was dead but is alive, when we die, we'll be alive again. But we won't just experience it all then and now. The very same power that raised Jesus from the dead can be at work in our lives. Because of the cross. So let me ask you one more time. Where are your priorities? Is God at the center? Or is he on the edges? Is there a piece of your life that you've been holding back, that you haven't opened up? I want to challenge you. Press in there. Is it a relationship that you haven't brought God to the middle of, and yet you're afraid to lose it because if you lose it, maybe there's not another one? And so fear is at the center and not the direction from God? Is it an addiction that's covering some other pain, some self-medication that you're bringing into your life that you haven't let God in fully there? You understand? You're hurting yourself and those of us that love you. We want nothing for you than to be free of that, not because we're ashamed of you, but because we see in your life a pain that's manifesting itself and we want you free. Is it in your money? Is it even in your spiritual activity that you offer up, believing deep down that that's what makes God happy? Where does God need to penetrate deeply into your life? Specifically, what do you think God wants from you right now at this point in your life? What disciplines should you be engaging? Worship, prayer, serving, giving, relationships. What disciplines should you be engaging so that you open yourselves up to more knowledge, more understanding, more clarity on the nature of God and His character and how He intersects your life? What, what sins do you need to cast off? What weight do you need to lay down? Where would God like to intersect your life right now? Would you grab out your Connect card and let's take a few steps together. We believe around here that a relationship with Jesus is the most important thing. And that is not the end, but it is instead the beginning point of a beautiful life in eternity, but here as well. So I want to give you a chance right now to take next step A, to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for the very first time. Another way of saying that is is you want Jesus to forgive your sin and to lead your life. If you'd like to do that, Just as an act of faith, you can check the box and in your heart be saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need you. And I want you to lead my life. In a moment when we pray, you can vocalize those ideas to God in your head or you can just say amen to what I say. Amen simply in in the Bible means so be it. So when somebody prays and you say amen, you're saying, yeah, what they said, Lord. It's okay. God accepts it. He sees your heart. If you want to do that, check the box. We'll be in communication with you this week through the mail and you can just receive some information from us about what it means to walk with Jesus. Or next step B, if you want to get baptized and go public with your faith and say, look, whatever parts that I'm holding back, God, I submit to you. I submerge myself in all of you, all that I am in all of you. Next step C, 
I'm making a real change to put God first in my life. By checking this box, you're identifying an area or two and saying, there's where I'm going to lean in. There's where I'm going to pray. There's where I'm going to talk with a trusted friend. There's where I'm going to search the scripture. There's where I'm going to bring discipline. There's where I'm going to walk in grace. But I'm going to give it to God. Next step, D. Just another way of saying the same thing. I have an important area in my life where I need God's power at work. You've tried. We'd like to join with you and ask God to bring his power alongside you. You open yourself up not just in acknowledgement that you need it, but in acknowledgement you can't do it alone. The Bible says there's power in that. Holy Spirit, I need your work. I cannot do this. Check that box. Let us pray for you. And the next step, E, is what we talked about at the beginning. I want to help Four Corners reach its financial goal, 75000 over the next 30 days, so we can together experience the power of the cross and so that other people can experience the power of the cross. We need this tool, this building, in order to do what God's called us to do with greater clarity and force in this community. Let's pray about these things right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for bringing all of yourself into contact with all of our lives. And God, you didn't hold anything back. You gave all of your life on the cross for us. You took off the robes of deity and you stepped into human flesh. You became one of us and gave your life as a perfect sacrifice. Thank you. God, we want who you are to intersect all of us. So Father, for those who are taking the next bold step right now of committing their lives to you for the first time as their Lord and Savior, God, give them a strong sense of your presence in their life, that they're a sinner, but you love them, and that you are willing and wanting to become Lord of their life. God, for those of us that need to lay out sins, let go of weights, and acknowledge that we need your power at work in our lives, God, I pray that there'd be no area of our lives that we hold back from you. All of you for all of us. We pray it in your name, the name of Jesus, the strong Son of God. Amen and amen.